Hello, I am popping in to tell y'all about our audience feedback survey. Do you love the show but want more Marge action? Do you love Wilmer and just want the guy to get a hug? And do you think Steve should be the one to hug Wilmer? Let us know in our audience feedback survey. You can find it in the episode description or at bit.ly slash TTT survey 2021. That's bit.ly slash TTT S-U-R-V-E-Y 2021, all lowercase. Let us know what's ping-ponging around your noggin. Enjoy the episode. Whoa. I figured it out. Hi, <laughs> Good evening, vampires, werewolves, and all other nocturnal <gasps> beings. Welcome Ooh. to Titties by Night, a Vampire the Masquerade actual play presented by Tabletop Titties. My name is Kelly, my pronouns are they, them, and I will be your storyteller for tonight. With me, I am joined by... Hello, my name is Emily Madgett, my pronouns are she, her, and I play Imogen White, whose pronouns are also she, her. Hey everybody, I'm Char, my pronouns are she, her, and I play Octavia Smith the Tremere, who is also she, her. Hello, hello, my name is Rachel Thelade, my pronouns are she, her, and I will be playing Evelyn Stormloff. The Nosferatu, and her pronouns are also she, her. Sorry, I'm just very excited to be here. I'm so excited! <laughs> I'm already sweating like mad, so I think my glasses are fogging up. Great start. Speaking of f- foggy, our story takes place in Victorian London, the Industrial Revolution, steampunk, and all that jazz. During the day, it's packed with day laborers and aristocrats alike, all of them living off the boon of technology and art. At night, the streets aren't quite as busy, but exponentially more dangerous. Wraiths and werewolves, thieves and murderers, but most important, vampires. We find ourselves in the heart of the city of London, in a modified estate that has held many businesses before it. But today, tonight rather, we find the owners of the investigators of the occult and unusual. In the entrance to this kind of velvety red, warm lit office, we see maybe too many plants grown everywhere. Um, One would assume that uh, nature has taken (laughs) over a bit. And somewhere in this bustle of plants, we find Emily. Well, first of all, you can never have too many plants. Listen, I'm the storyteller. I can say when there's too many plants. (laughs) It's merely an opinion, and I will not let your opinion get to me. We find uh, Imogen. She's tending to her plants, and I'm trying my hardest to do an Irish accent as I describe her. She looks to be a little older than 20 years old. Um, She's got orange hair. She's Irish. Um, (laughs) She plays the violin. She loves her plants. She likes to dabble in poetry a little bit. Yeah, and right now she's just tending to her plants because as kelly said there's a lot of them (laughs) (laughs) quite a few we're gonna uh we're gonna jump back about a year ago following imogen back somewhere in ireland we see a dying girl lying in a bed her aunt stands next to her wearing a baggy dress and a mask her red hair is large and curly In the corner of the room, we see a priest ready to give this girl's last rites. The girl coughs up some blood, and the ant looks visibly uneasy. The ant holds the girl's hand, and this is where I have to start doing an Irish accent. 
<laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but normally it won't be you, will it? No. At some point, it will be Shane Easton, who has so lovely agreed to play Imogen's sire, but not right now. So it has to be me. <laughs> okay. Who center. Be calm, Wayne. Your time has come, but don't fret. Your mother and father wait for you. You feel a calm spread over you, Imogen, and you see under your aunt's tightly wound hat uh, a trickle of blood begin to seep from her forehead. Auntie, but I don't... I don't really want to go yet. (sighs) You got to go. It's your time, darling. But you know, there's still... There's still... uh... Beckett, he's he's overseas, but there's still Beckett, and if I go, I... Auntie, who's going to water all the plants and take care of the garden, and... We'll get fun, someone for that, sweet child. You're, you're sweet, and you're kind. You're going to go to the right place. It's going to be so calm there. You're going to love it. Um, I think that she reaches up and, like... Breath, like tries to like use her sleeve to wipe the blood off of her aunt's <laughs> forehead a little bit. Oh, sorry, I <clears throat> ran into a tree on the way here. My apologies. You, you see, under- if I <laughs> if I go, who's gonna stop you from running into trees, Auntie? <laughs> <sighs> you don't understand what it's like to sit and watch the people you love die around you. I was there when your parents died. I'm going to go to America, take care of your brother, and eventually see him slip away too. You don't want that burden. I think that like she just like starts to cry. Like, <laughs> uh, what you, else do you do? Uh, your aunt begins to cry with you, but you notice coming out of her tears is more blood. Uh, and she tries to like hurriedly wipe them away, but it just kind of like smears up the side of her face. Something must be wrong with you as well, Auntie. No, I'm fine. We've got I... to get you to a doctor. I'm, sh- I'm sure. I'm sure it's fine. Uh, the priest in the back finishes saying his prayers and uh, leaves the room. Now, assuming that you are on your deathbed, your aunt, brushing the blood more off her face, bends down and kisses your cheek. A single drop of blood falls onto your face. I can't let you go. I can't, I can't live in this world without you. She uh, bends down closer to you, and you feel a sharp stab in your neck for a moment. But despite this, you still feel calm. Something about the presence of your aunt is making you not mind, and you eventually lose consciousness. Your next memory is that of hunger, but a total lack of fear and pain. You open your eyes and you see that your arms and your legs have been bound to the corners of the bed and the sheets have been pulled off. Next to you is a pile of, or a a stain of blood on the sheets. Your aunt comes over to you holding a leather flask and she says, drink this, it'll make you feel better. She puts it up to your lips. I drink. You taste blood pouring out of the flask. And it's a shock at first, but as you drink, it's almost the most delicious thing you've ever tasted. And the hunger subsides a bit. And you notice that there was a whisper in the back of your mind that sort of fades away a bit. 
I don't know what I've done. I'm so sorry. I just... I couldn't let you go. What, what do you mean? You're changed now. You're, uh... You're a vampire now, lass. What? <laughs> I mean, like, what? Like, straight up, what? I've been... I've been keeping it from your mom. She didn't know. I'm so sorry. I should never have done this to you. I just... You're gonna... And she kind of, like, touches your forehead, and you feel, like, a pressure, like a pain as she does so. You're gonna change, and this world isn't gonna be kind to you. But you have to continue to be kind. Don't let what I've done to you change you. Well, of course. You'll have a chance to water the flowers now. And you see, as your aunt reaches into her pocket, she pulls out what appears to be a sharp wooden stake. And she shoves it into your chest. And everything goes black. When we see you next, you're on the docks of the Canary Wharf in London. Well, we see a coffin that has been privately redirected to London. The official story is that you died abroad, and a wealthy family in London wants to give their daughter a proper burial. The real story is that your aunt stole you in the night, shipped you to London to not rouse suspicion as to why you didn't die from the flu. And she fled to America to go meet up with your brother. Inside the coffin is your stiff, lifeless body, a wooden stake lovingly stuck into your heart. (laughs) Standing over the coffin is a Nosferatu in a plague doctor mask. She bribes the sailor to keep quiet. And with the help of a few grimy-looking individuals, your coffin is packed into a carriage and whisked away. We cut back to the present. Imogen is still tending to her flowers. We go deeper into the shop and find a door that leads down into the basement on rocky steps. Getting a little bit more creepy and (laughs) dungeon-like. We see various rooms leading off of the hallways in the basement, all sort of moist and creaking. There's a there's there's some pleasantries. There's been carpets laid down and some paintings put up on the walls, but it's like it's like putting gold on shit at this point. <laughs> wow. Nice. <laughs> we hear some howls and some moans off in the distance as we find Octavia in her room. Would you like to describe what Octavia is doing and how she appears? Definitely. Octavia is working in her bedroom at this moment. Octavia, she's a tall woman. She's got a dark blue bob similar to what I'm wearing right now. (laughs) Um, She has large glasses on her face, but behind them are eyes that are completely white due to cataracts from an accident that she had at a young age. She's completely blind, has been for quite some time now. And, uh, of course, she is a Tremere. Um, Right now she's in her bedroom. Prophet, her guide dog, a black Labrador uh, bloodhound mix, is sitting eagerly at her side as she is tinkering away, um, creating a new sort of spirit box for herself, um, a spirit board to communicate with the wraiths and other unknowns of the night. We're going to jump back further than we did with Imogen to the night that Octavia was embraced. 
We find Octavia in a small, dark room, not dissimilar to the one that she is in in present day, working away at something on a messy desk along the wall. There's no lanterns, just the pale gray light of the moon creating a silhouette of the window frame across her face. Several elaborate contraptions litter the desk as Octavia tinkers on what appears to be the face of a clock. She deftly disassembles the useful pieces and places them carefully in her own wooden box for safekeeping. As you work, the silence is broken by the sound of a commotion deeper inside the building. Your small puppy, down by your feet, stirs out of sleep, tied up to the post of your bed. Prophet, what, what is that? Do you, did you see anything? Do you hear something? Puppy noises. Um, I'll put down what I'm working on and reach for like a wrench, uh, like a sturdy uh, metal object. As you do, the noise grows louder. You hear the sounds of bodies slamming into furniture and the shouts end as soon as they start. It's clear that the other residents of the building are being murdered around you. Okay, Prophet, it's time to hide. Um, you said that he was out of bed? He's tied to the leg of the bed so that he doesn't run away. He's not too well trained right now. Yeah. Um, I'll go and I'll walk to the bed that um, he's near and try and like slide myself under it. And I'll leave one hand on his like back leg to try and like keep him calm. Shh, darling, it's all right. We'll be okay. I won't find us in here. Shh. He kind of like curls up under the bed with you a little bit. You hear several shots of a heavy rifle closely followed by a guttural slash and a loud thud up against your door. You hear a woman call out in pain. Ugh! Ugh! The bloody cattle shredded me. You said this would go off without a hitch. I feel several hitches. Just finish that one off. He won't be missed. I'd rather find something a tad more fresh. You hear another slam, Octavia, against your door. You smell iron in the air, and another slam, and another, and the door crashes open. You hear wet footsteps walking towards you. Prophet, ah, fresh meat. Prophet barks as best he can as the creature approaches you and pulls you under the, from under the bed. This'll do, are the last words you hear before a sharp pain in your neck. The blood is swiftly drained from your body. You drift close to unconsciousness, your body nearly empty at this point. But you faintly hear healed steps of another person. Prophet continues to bark near your head. What are you doing? She's not one of them. What does it matter? This entire building will be condemned by sunrise. Another body on the pile won't make a difference, eh? I grab the neck of this person and shove them against the wall. <sighs> we came here with a purpose, and our duty is fulfilled. This woman is not a part of this. Embrace her now, or you won't make it back to your chantry in one piece. She kind of, like, puts her hand up against your chest and tries to push you, but can't. I dare say you should embrace her, then, if it means so much to you. Embrace her, Miss Lestat. I wouldn't wish my curse on someone like her. I wouldn't wish my curse on anyone. She kind of gets herself free a little bit. Whatever you say, Miss Stormloft. But the prince will be hearing about this. I'm sure he will. Octavia, you hear the footsteps come closer towards you. 
and all the tension in your muscles are released at the final drop of blood is pulled from you. You wake up on what feels like a plush velvet couch. You feel an anger and a hunger growing inside of you and a sudden urge to feed until your hand flops off the couch and brushes against something. Your dog is lying on the floor next to the couch, and it distracts you enough that the urge subsides for a moment. That's when you notice music playing. Moonlight Sonata. And a voice speaks up. Ah, you're awake. Good. Your little friend refused to leave your side. I would have protested, but that Evelyn was eyeing me like a hawk, and I didn't want to make her any more upset. Well, that is his job. Who are you? I I don't recognize your voice. All will become clear. I saw your trinkets, the ones you were working on. And I must say I'm quite impressed. What do they do? (laughs) Well, they all do something in particular. It depends on what you need. But how do I know I can trust you? Well, I dare say that you don't have a choice at this point. Look around. There's nobody else here. Haven't you noticed my eyes? Ah, yes, of course. Well, you'll find that the Chantry can be accommodating for those who have a place here, and you have quite a bit of talent. Perhaps we can make use of you, after all. Make use of me? Who are you? Again, as I said, all will become clear. But for now, we have business to attend to. You must be parched. Do you feel it yet? Now that you mention it, yes, I'm so thirsty. Is is there a, um, a place for me to get a glass of water? Mm. <laughs> Perhaps some milk? You won't be needing that anymore, my dear. Come with me. It's time to take your oaths. And the training will begin right away. And we cut back to present day in Octavia's room as she continues to tinker. We cut away and go further down the halls of the Brioro and get a little bit deeper in the back where no one was supposed to notice. We find cells and dungeons back here. And we enter a room, a large room with pillars with chains and manacles attached on each side. The floor is a little slanted in here as it goes down into a grate in the corner of the room. The implications here are quite loud. But we find uh, another person here. Rachel? Well, in this room you will find Evelyn Stormloft. She is... Practicing with her sword and polishing it, which she can sheathe into her cane to have it be inconspicuous. She is, well, uh, hideous would be putting it lightly, (laughs) uh, to be quite frank. At one point, you can tell she was once beautiful, but now she is nothing but a mere creature of the night, Rotting flesh, hardly a nose left on her face, gray skin, very, very long, long, dark, brownish burgundy hair that goes all the way down to the floor. As you know, in Victorian ages, that some women had their hair quite long. And when you are a vampire, that is just how it stays. (laughs) The way you die is how you are for life, or on life, rather. 
yes, she is. She is just practicing her sword play and making sure her weapon is in peak condition. We're going to now travel quite a bit further back than the last two. We see the exterior of a fairly lavish 18th century home. Two stories, intricate and gothic in design. But despite it being early in the evening and rather a cold night out, there is no smoke coming from the chimney. There are no lights inside. Within its dim halls, only lit by the moonlight coming through the windows, we see the aftermath of havoc. We see upturned couches smashed up against the wall, broken mirrors, and books thrown in all directions. We see claw marks tearing through the wallpaper, and banisters kicked off their posts, doors smashed off their hinges. The house appears to be empty and still, but there is one inhabitant still roaming from room to room, emitting a low growl and trailed by her immense hair. We see Evelyn Stormloft, once a woman known for her stunning beauty and even more stunning wit. We now see a ravenous creature searching for her prey amongst the wreckage of her home. Her porcelain skin is now in the process of molting off, her hands and feet stained with blood from so much shattered glass, her eyes a deep red as she peers around every corner. Evelyn Stormloft, once a brilliant socialite, is now a vampire, fully frenzied in the darkness of her own home. Her father, Albert Stormloft, has, of course, come looking for his daughter, but was chased out by what he assumed was a horrifying beast. Without any idea of what to do, he's boarded up Evelyn's home and declared her missing to the general public. He had her home quarantined and went off to look for his missing daughter. One month has passed since Evelyn was embraced. We hear the voices of two men outside and the boards on the front door being pulled off. Would you stop your moaning? It's not as scary as it looks. Look, nothing's been moving for weeks, which means nothing's inside. I don't care. I want to go back. There's nothing... There's nothing in there anyways, and this place is seriously fucked up. I ain't seen it this close before. What if it were really the plague? Then it's good thing we brought these bloody masks then, ain't it? If you chicken out now, then I take the full cut and you can die in the streets for all I care. A second board is pulled free, and the man begins smashing open the door. We see two figures enter the home, both wearing full Plague Doctor outfits. Sides, hmm. if anyone spots us, we all tell them we're with the church. Now look around. Evelyn, you're on the top mm. floor of the house, standing in the powder room, staring at your horrifying visage in what remains of a broken mirror. You hear loud crashes coming from the downstairs, and the mumbles of voices. What do you do? Mm. Well, I haven't eaten, like, at all, have I? No, you're like feral at this point well i think in if i was to play in character i would let out an absolutely horrific shriek your shriek and, echoes through the hall and <laughs> uh as the kids these days say yeet myself downstairs and absolutely <laughs> destroy these men <laughs> uh you leap from the top floor smashing in front of them cutting them off from the outside. One man screams and runs away from you as you manage to latch on to the remaining man. Describe how you eviscerate him. Oh, just absolutely rip his entire throat out and then just, like, go to town. His throat. Just claw claw hand, just like... You start just like tearing yeah. his innards out that spread across the floor. Uh, mm -hmm. 
you begin to feel satiated, but the taste of blood keeps the beast more interested <clears throat> than satiated at this point. And you know mm-hmm. that there is still one man now deep inside the halls of your home. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, he, he ran inside the house. He didn't try to escape. You blocked uh, them from uh, exiting. Okay, perfect. That is that is what we like. I'm gonna go ahead and just uh, all like all all the speed I have as as just just book it after this guy and just bring him down to the ground and like. Yeah. All right, you hear <laughs> smashes coming from deeper into the house as cabinets are being pushed in front of a door of a room. But knowing mm-hmm. this place well enough, you find. A back door to the room, and you walk in as you see this man quivering, face up against this cabinet, hoping that you don't make it through. Okay, well, I'm just gonna walk right up behind him and be like, "What are you looking for?" And then just go, and then just like bite him in the neck. You just hear like- a crack from his <laughs> neck as you bend his head to the side mm-hmm. and just eat him like a open peach. <laughs> Mm, hot. <laughs> <laughs> nice. As you drain uh, the second man of his blood, your hunger and frenzy go down a bit. You feel satiated mm. for the first time since you can remember, and the power you felt as you feasted on these men was overwhelming. Mm-hmm. You look down, and you see a familiar note now stained with blood. And you read, and it says, I know you wouldn't accept it willingly. So I took it upon myself to bring you down to my level of hell. Now your beauty will remain nothing. You look up several decades later, the note clutched in your hand. You stand atop St. Paul's Cathedral, dressed in your old attire. A small gang of Nosferatu crouched behind you, waiting for your next action. In front of you, barely breathing, lays the man who gave you this curse. Many years ago, he hoped to weaken you, to curse you. But now, his gang at your side, you stand above him. You clutch his note in one hand and a stake in the other. Mm. And we'll cut back to the present day, where you continue to fence. Octavia continues to work on her gadgets. Imogen continues to grow her plants and hum to herself. And we'll pull out of the house as we end chapter zero of Titties by Night. Titty! <gasps> Oh, damn. Heck yeah. Guys, that was so exciting. I had no idea that Rachel was making an appearance <laughs> in, in Stars. That was so exciting for me. And yours. Was like, she was the <laughs> one that picked you up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I knew about that one. I didn't know. She started talking and I was like, what? <laughs> oh, boy. Thank you for listening to Tabletop Titties, Titties by Night. Kelly Wright is our storyteller, and our season one TBN players include Charlene Bear, Emily Matchett, and Rachel Thelade. Our sound engineer and logo designer is Kelly Wright, and our episodes are edited by Kelly Wright. All music featured in Tabletop Titties is from the website Pixabay, incompetechmusic.com by Kevin McLeod, using a Creative Commons license, or freemusicarchive.org. For more information, including a full list of songs used in every episode, please check out our website tabletoptitties.com that's tabletoptitties with double d's if you know what we mean we'll see you next time